What's Shaking Fire Nation? JLD here with an audio masterclass that's going to be very enjoyable to listen to because it's all about how to launch a family startup and land investment, which means getting an injection of venture capital. I mean, I learned so much about venture capital during this episode, and I hope you do as well. I brought on the founder of Flow Technologies, Gabriel, who began his career as an attorney working in the plumbing industry. And during this time, he dealt with product liability claims for allegedly failed plumbing products, a crucial career step that led him to Flow. This company's fascinating. How he got to the idea with his father is absolutely outstanding as well. And we're going to be talking about how to know if you're ready to fundraise for your family startup and when's a good time to actually seek venture capital. We're going to be talking about considerations for that venture capital, about the investment size, the experience, things to avoid, how to design your pitch, what happens after you raise money, and so much more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after we thank our sponsor. If you're looking to hire, then I've got great news. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for quality candidates to find you. It finds them for you. ZipRecruiter's powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills and experience and then actively invites them to apply to your job. That means you get quality candidates fast. And right now you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Gabriel, say what's up to Fire Nation and then uh, share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Hey there, Fire Nation. Excited to be on the program. So thanks for having me, John. Interesting thing people don't know. Well, I had a absolutely horrendous stutter when I was a kid. Like a lot of people have um, seen the movie King's Speech. Right. Uh, my speech was pretty bad when I was in fifth grade specifically, I remember it reaching like a boiling point where I could not even say my name in front of my class of like 20 something kids. Um, but I worked on it. I challenged myself, put my mind to it. And now as my wife uh, will tell anyone, uh, she can barely shut me up. So <laughs> I think that's pretty interesting. Now, if you had to share one thing you think was maybe the turning point, was it just repetitive practice or was there something kind of special? I did a lot. You know, I started doing a lot of public speaking. Right. I ran for student council, which you know, forced me to do a little debate in middle school. And then I eventually was the president of my middle school and had to give a speech in front of the whole school. Um, I had a bar mitzvah growing up. For those that don't know, that's like, you know, a Jewish rite of passage. And so I had to read the Torah in front of my congregation. There was a bunch of those kind of things where I pushed myself and I was like, hey, if I can do this in front of these people, um, I just need the right tools. And so was it kind of a psychological thing too? Like you had to get over kind of like the mental side of things? Big time. I think your mind is running really fast when you stutter and it's, it takes a second to kind of process all the things that you want to say before you just, your mouth starts running. And so, and, and I think part of it was just, I was generally, I was always kind of a confident kid. So I, I wouldn't say I was very nervous. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there was some element of nervousness. I don't know. I kind of rambled there, but no, that definitely was a ramble. But what I will <laughs> say, your wife is right. She can't shut you up, but no, but seriously, um, what I will say to that is it is one of those things that I've seen with other people who I've talked to and who have dealt with that, you know, with either fear of public speaking or some kind of speech impediment. 
it's just as much mental and psychological as it is actually getting the right mechanics as well. So really interesting Fire Nation. I mean, public speaking is such a terror and a fear for literally everybody. Anybody that says they're not scared of speaking in public has either done it a zillion times or is lying to you as one of the two. So just recognize it's a game. It's a game of both the psychological, the mental, and the actual mechanical side. But what I want to talk about, Gabriel, is the audio masterclass that we're going to be diving into today, which is how to launch a family startup and then land investment. And by while we are talking about landing investment, I'm not talking about actual land. I'm talking about like venture capital and stuff like that. So I would really kind of maybe like to know a little bit more about how you and your father got into this business together and actually first off launched this family startup. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my dad and I started Flow Technologies in 2015. Flow is a water monitoring and control device for your home. One device you install on the main water supply line uh, proactively monitors the whole water system. Uh, to help you avoid leaks and catastrophic water damage, which is the leading cause of preventable homeowners insurance claims every year. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's five times more likely that you'll have water damage than fire or theft to your home. Wow. So Combined, our story, huh? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our story um, starts back in, well, I guess it starts many years ago. My dad is kind of a a mad scientist of plumbing. He's been in plumbing for over 30 (laughs) years and a lot of things that bored me for a really long time. Uh, But he had his own manufacturing plant when I was a kid and I worked there in the summers and he invented a bunch of different kind of plumbing solutions. Uh, His last invention sold over 18 million units. So my dad is like, uh, he's a mechanical engineer by trade, but he's just a curious guy and is always coming up with different things. And so there was a number of things in his past that kind of led him to inventing flow. But our story together kind of started about 10 years earlier um, where we had a catastrophic water damage claim in our own home. I was in law school at the time, so I was living at home. And the entire family was in New York for the weekend. We live in LA. And I came back to our home in Los Angeles. I opened the front door. And I'll never forget, it looked like it was raining in the middle of the living room. I mean, there was water coming down from the second floor. It took 10 seconds for my eyes to adjust uh, to what, you know, was happening in front of me. It was like, you know, incomprehensible. But there it was. There was one water connector on the second floor from like a toilet, a 25-cent part that broke off of the main water supply line. And water running uncontrollably for three days throughout the whole home. Uh, it was two weeks before my sister's wedding that my dad was throwing. I mean, it was, it was a horrendous occasion for, uh, a number of reasons. I had to end up living in a hotel for six weeks, uh, because my room was entirely flooded. Um, it was really bad. And that had a pretty profound effect on my family, um, after having an incident like that, because my dad, you know, having had the experience that he had come from where, you know, I didn't really explain this background, John, so maybe we can find a way to bring this back in. But Sure, bring it right now. Yeah. So my dad was an expert witness for the plumbing industry for many years. Over 10 years, he um, analyzed over a thousand water damage claims in people's homes. So when there's a homeowner's insurance claim in someone's house, they'll typically file a claim with their homeowner's insurance. Their homeowner's insurance will pay that claim. But then the homeowner's insurance industry will then file what's called a subrogation claim against who they think is ultimately responsible 
for that water damage. So in many instances, they would claim that the plumbing manufacturer uh, manufactured a bad device. So they would, you know, sue them for negligence or product liability or what have you. Okay, pull a little bit out of the weeds here and take us to the punchline. So my dad analyzed these water damage claims for over 10 years, and he realized what some of the root causes are. And after we had the water damage in our own home, set on the path to invent a device that would help avoid this in everyone's home going forward. He wanted it to be cost effective enough that you can get it in everyone's house. So one thing I want to step in here and say, Fire Nation, before Gabriel continues is this is what we're talking about. When people come to me over and over again and say, John, I don't have an idea for a business. I don't know what to do next. Where's my big idea, et cetera, et cetera. You need to look around you. You need to say, hey, what are things I'm curious about? What are things I'm passionate about? What are my skills? What is my expertise in? There are obstacles and challenges and struggles that are in every one of those areas, and you might just want to create the solution. And that's exactly what Gabriel is getting to here, hopefully quickly, about the solution that his father got to. So pick it back up, Gabriel. Yeah, so my dad had this really specialized experience, he had this pain point, and he decided that he was going to invent the solution to this problem. And I patted him on the back. I was practicing law and doing other <laughs> things. And I said, that's great, dad, you go do that. And he's always working on funky stuff in right. the garage. But fast forward to 2015, I you know, was done with my last startup. Um, I was working on a restaurant company that I was running corporate operations for and stumbled into the garage to kind of see what the old man was working on. And here he had done it. I mean, I knew the pain point really well because we experienced sure. it ourselves. But he invented this one device that could find leaks anywhere in the home, could shut off the water, can act proactively and find problems before they turn into leaks. And I was like, Dad, this is, this is incredible. Like, what are you going to do? And the first thing on his mind was to do what he did with all of his previous inventions, which is just to license it to a third party company. And, you know, it didn't take long for us to kind of agree that any company we would give this to would find a way to screw it up. If we give it to a plumbing company, they're not going to understand the technology inside and like Internet of Things. And so I'm going to guess right now, Gabriel, you guys decided to launch this yourself. Boom. There you go. So oh, I got there. Decided, yeah. So we decided to do it ourselves. And. It took a while of me and my dad kind of debating the right way of going about this. Well, I wouldn't say we just decided to do it. My dad tried to talk me out of it for a while. He's like, here you are. You have a successful corporate career. Like, why are you going to quit your job and focus on this thing that I invented in the garage? But I had a lot of faith in my dad and the product that he invented. And I saw the opportunity. So when we did quit, there were a lot of things that we had to decide, like who was going to do what. You know, we were not going to. I was not going to run a company with my dad as co-CEOs because as brilliant of an engineer as he is and as successful as he had been in business, this was a different kind of business than he had ever operated. And it seems to me like you guys have different skill sets too. I mean, you had been, you know, through law and a lawyer and these things and your father was like a inventor, inventor, like doing these funky different things. So you guys launched the company. You obviously have some legitimate success because I want to get pretty quickly here to the next point, which is... You turn a corner, you're obviously generating revenue with a company, and you decide, hey, it's time to kick this into high gear. It's time to raise some money. What made you decide to do that? And how did you know that you were actually ready for an injection of capital? 
we knew really early on that we were going to need a lot of capital to run this business. Um, your first point, we did have very complementary skill sets, and I feel like that's a necessary. We can't be stepping on each other's toes constantly as second-guessing each other's decisions. So my dad being the engineer and more the product-focused person and me the focused on you know fundraising and kind of corporate operations and sales and how are we going to grow this thing and get it into everyone's homes, that was a great start because we both had opinions about the other one's core expertise, but we really did have complementary skill sets. On the fundraising side, it didn't take long for me to kind of make the determination that this was not gonna be a traditional family-owned business where we were gonna try to keep 100% of the equity and just you know blood, sweat, and tears and just you know try to grow it organically. Um, it, we're, this is an IoT product. We're in the middle of a smart home revolution. Uh, the problem point is way too big. It's billions of dollars a year. And we were going to need a lot of capital if we were going to get the land grab. And what I refer to the land grab is, you know, every home is potentially land for us to grab, totally. <laughs> to go install a flow device. And I knew already that there were some big uh, the public companies that were already looking at this problem. It was too big for, you know, people not to take notice. Yeah, let me break in here another second, because Fire Nation, just think about this land grab concept for a second. I mean, what's happening with Alexa and Google Home right now? Guess what? If Alexa wins this land grab, who's going to actually start winning when you want to order something from your smart speaker? Well, obviously, Amazon's going to win with Alexa, Google win with Google Home. So there's so much money in that. You know, even in my home here down in Puerto Rico, I have Nest, I have Lutron for lights, you know, Nest is for my thermometer, I mean, my thermostat, you know, I have... Um, Dios, which is for my uh, sound system. It's just nuts how quickly and how smart our houses are getting in the land grab is legit. So mm -hmm. keep rocking, Gabriel. Yeah, absolutely. And so just, just playing off of what you just said, I mean, we put ourselves in the category of this is what you need for your water. Like you have a nest for your thermostat. You have a, maybe a ring as your front doorbell. You have all these other smart home devices. Yet the biggest problem space is actually in water. And here we have a solution that can not only help prevent all catastrophic water damage to your home, it makes the entire home smarter. Mm. Um, so we really felt that this was an opportunity that needed, you know, a lot of capital, a lot of resources outside of just me and my dad. So it didn't take long for me to determine that uh, we needed uh, venture backing. And that's a different kind of company that you're growing and one that's not typically a family business. Right, absolutely. So you guys decided to go out and start making that happen. So what was like the next step? I mean, where did you actually go to take step number one, which would be like, hey, we need some money or we're looking for some money? Yeah, one of my skill sets, I think, and I'm, I'm a very curious person and I also don't, think I'm a, a category expert in like anything. So uh, being very curious and also having a network, uh, which is one of the values that I bring to the table, I, I quickly just started asking people questions. And one conversation led me to another, which got me to some pretty great advisors. Looking back on it, I was really blessed. Um, for example, Jamie Simonoff from Ring, uh, who just sold to Amazon for a billion dollars, <laughs> is that also from LA and happened to be one of my first advisors and investors in my company. 
Um, I sought out people that knew a lot more than I did about not only raising venture capital, how to build a hardware business, how to build a software business, how to do, um, you know, a business development and working with insurance companies. And these conversations just led me to some really great advisors, which was the best place to start. So Jamie Simonoff from Ring, uh, a gentleman by the name of Said Amidi up in Sunnyvale, California, is one of my advisors. He runs uh, a startup incubator called Plug and Play. Um, they made the initial introductions to a lot of great insurance companies that I ended up working very closely with. USAA is one of our investors, Ooh, uh, actually invested in our first round, uh, our, our seed round of capital. So they were one of our first venture investors. Um, and so one really important thing, if I was, you know, to be giving advice here yes. is one, you got to get great advisors. You got to get people who know more than you do and are, and are willing to make, you know, the introductions for you. And two, you got to build a great team because they are really investing what venture capitalists are looking for at that really early stage, which, which is your first round of venture capital, is they're looking to invest in a team. Even though your product might be a fantastic idea, I think ours was and is, um, and even though you may have great product market fit and whatnot, there are going to be a million challenges that are thrown your way between, you know, the time that you're pitching them and by the time hopefully you have some kind of very positive exit from that business where they're actually seeing money back. So let me pull you back to that first point, though. You said find great advisors. What would be your best recommendation on how to start that process? Just got to start with your own network. Um, you know, look at your LinkedIn. Look at where you want to go. Look at um, the kind of capital that you need to raise. Not all cash is equal. I, I think the the way that a lot of uh, startups look at it for their first round is they're just trying to get money any which way they can. Um, I challenge myself to really think about who is the best capital for this business? Who's the smart money that's going to not only get my foot in the door with who I need, whether that's on the business development side or the venture capital side, or whatnot, or or just finding talent that I really needed for my business. You know, who was going to be the best investors that were going to help me get to the next level? Um, and so, having uh, capital is one way of really aligning with very smart people. So, all of my advisors, I gave um, some equity interest in our company, which vests over time. But I also asked them to be investors. Um, in the company at the same time, and I gave them favorable terms. And all of my initial advisors were also investors in the company. Now, I know there's no magic number, but what would you say is a good idea to keep as far as percentage of equity in your own family business? I mean, is it just as simple as saying over 50% or is there actually a better number or is that just not even really something you can answer? Yeah, it's not really something I can answer because all businesses are different. Like hardware businesses, which ours is, is very capital intensive. So we will definitely um, own less than, you know, to 50% of our business. There's no question about it. Would I prefer to own over 50%? Absolutely. Um, but I think it just really depends on the business and how much capital you need and how much momentum you get, you know, how much you can justify raising money at a higher valuation. But the way that I've always processed it is I'm trying to grow the pie and what's good for growing the pie overall, um, raising the sufficient amount of capital that we need to keep that dream going is what I was focused on. And, you know, that obviously no one likes a dilution. No one likes uh, not owning, 
you know, uh, as much as they can of their business. But as long as I keep growing that pie, uh, it's going to be worth it for but everyone is how I process it. So Fire Nation, we've been going through just some really important things here when you're starting a business, growing a business, especially if this is a family business, like some things to consider. We have a lot more things we're going to be talking about in the second half of this interview. We're going to take a second here. We're going to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. Fire Nation, we're here with Ian Siegel, the CEO of Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. And Ian, the hiring process has definitely evolved with the digital age. How do you think it will continue to evolve to become even more streamlined? The number one change that I expect to see in recruiting, and it's happening already, is the speed with which companies are able to make hires. Historically, it's taken more than a month and often two months for employers to close a hire. With the improvements that we've had in our technology, we are seeing that move down to a week to two weeks. Why? It's because we don't leave it to chance. As soon as an employer posts a job on ZipRecruiter, our technology scours all of the active job seekers who are looking for work to find the very best matches in market, notify them almost instantly that that job has come online, and incites them to apply right away. That means for you as an employer, the same day you post a job, great candidates are coming in, and that allows you to close the loop far faster than has ever been possible at any other point in history when it comes to recruiting. That means you can get back to the important things like growing your business. Fire Nation, think back just a few years. Hiring used to be this long, drawn-out affair, and the whole time you're running your business with a position unfilled, that's inefficient. You have to get to full strength as fast as possible while balancing quality and speed. Luckily for us, ZipRecruiter delivers both. With ZipRecruiter, there's less waiting and more hiring. Their smart matching technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate through the site within the first day. It's no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on Trustpilot ratings of hiring sites with over 1,000 reviews views. And right now, Fire Nation, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash fire. That's ziprecruiter.com slash F-I-R-E, ziprecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So Gabriel, we're back and I want to talk specifically right now about some of the benefits to venture backing as a family business. I mean, there are obviously some negatives to it and there are obviously some positives, which is why you went down that road. So let's focus on the positives right now. Let's talk about the benefits of actually getting an injection of capital into your family startup. One, I think it makes you much more of a disciplined, right? Having really smart investors behind your company, like we got Crosslink Capital, who's a, a great venture capital firm out of Silicon Valley. We got, you know, USAA, uh, which is just a phenomenal, uh, but insurance carrier uh, and a financial institution. They really help bring a level of um, discipline to the company. They, they helped us, you know, set up our business in such a way that we could partner with um, but enterprise level um, companies. And frankly, that we would be taken seriously as well. Um, I think, when I first walked into the room with not only many venture capital firms, but insurance companies I wanted to work with or retail, um, when it was just me or me and my dad and we're this father-son business, people weren't sure whether to take this seriously or not. But once we had you know, household names, financial institutions, venture capital firms, 
that it invested in the company, um, I think that people started looking at our business differently and realizing that, you know, we were going to take this business to a certain level and that obviously some people had done their due diligence on the company and thought this was worthwhile if they were investing millions of dollars into it. So it really helped to uh, but elevate the conversation. It was very helpful for me and my dad as well. I mean, me and my dad are still a father son in the end of the day. So when we were able to bring in sophisticated kind of venture capital into some of the conversations that we were having about directions to take the business, you know, they helped, uh, you know, they helped us process where we want this business to go. Um, you know, but ultimately we still control our board. It's our decision, but, um, they, they also acted as great advisors about what we need to do in terms of how to grow the business to um, a certain level. I also think one other thing, if I can just throw this in there, I think for us, it was a much more conservative way to grow the company. And I know that, you know, a lot of people don't look at venture capital as conservative. Certainly my dad didn't at the beginning either. He was, he was very much against it when we were first having a conversation about this. But here we are, a father-son team who is investing a tremendous amount of our time, um, which is our biggest resource into this company. And ultimately, if it didn't work out and we didn't have venture capital funding, we would not only be out all of that time, but we would have invested uh, a significant amount of our own money into the business, right? That was a huge risk to take. So I think it was more conservative in some ways that we can raise venture capital, pay ourselves, I mean, certainly not, you know, that any kind of a glorious salary, but enough that we can at least cover some of our own personal expenses while we're growing this business. And then if it didn't work out, then yes, we've lost our time, but at the very least, we were covering expenses with the venture capital that we had raised on a personal level. And if it does work out, then there's still going to be plenty of, uh, you know, up an upside for us and our investors. So in that way, I think it's a more conservative way to grow. I like how you put that too, not a glorious salary because Fire Nation, I've just seen a lot of people have the mindset, you know, I'm going to start a company, I'm going to raise some venture capital and I start paying myself a million dollars a year. And guess what? People that are going to invest in your company are not investing so that you can pay yourself a seven-figure salary. That's just not happening. They're investing in the company to make sure that that company grows the right way, invests this money the right way, pays its people the right dollar amount, and uh, glorious salary will not be one of those things. It's not a glorious salary. You want to add to that? It's definitely not. I mean, I may sound a little nasally right now because I'm working very hard on my startup. I travel a lot. While I started this company, I had twins. Um, they're now about 18 months old and I have a wife. And so, you know, I'm working really hard running a lot of different directions and certainly the amount that I'm paying myself. I'm, I mean, I'm still I, really just on a personal level. I still operate at like a net loss every month, even yeah. with the amount that I pay myself. But it, it's not a conversation that I've chosen to really push on with my board and my partners and stuff, because I really set the bar for the 25 employees that, you know, full-time people that we have working on this project now. And I'm, you know, as the CEO, you're also the chief, you know, cultural officer of the company. And I want to set the salary bar at such a level as the CEO that everyone is still very hungry. We have, you know, a, a, a commission structure in place. Everyone that works for the company has, you know, stock options and gets, you know, but equity for joining. And that's really what we're all working towards. We're really working on towards growing that pie. So let's get into some more specifics when it comes to venture capital. So let's talk investment size, kind of break down what that means and how you approach that. 
One of the lessons that I learned from my advisors early on is that you always want to raise more than you think that you need. Um, So when I was doing my first round, this is back at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, I thought that I needed to raise about a million and a half because, you know, that was how much I thought was going to carry me to the next phase, the next milestone where I could raise again. Um, I was wrong. Um, I I ended up raising three and a half million dollars in that round. Uh, Part of the reason that I did that was because one, I got some really great investors that I wanted to that I wanted to bring in and have them vested in helping us build this dream. Uh, but two, I took the advice of my advisors and always raised more capital than I think that I needed, and that was a really great decision. I mean, we ran into longer lead times than we originally expected when we were first um, developing our product. I wanted to be opportunistic with hiring and to hire the best people that I possibly could, and now I have. You know, my whole support team came from a Tesla, my my data scientist came from Apple, so on and so forth. Wow. And I just wouldn't have been able to hire these people if I didn't have the right amount of capital. And by the way, uh, when I said that, you know, the venture capital instills confidence in people on a business development side, it also instills a lot of confidence from your team. Um, I would not have been able to recruit the kind of people that I brought on to help grow flow. Uh, without raising the right amount of um, venture capital, because people do use it as a proxy. You know, how much you raise, people use as a proxy for how successful you are. It's not true, but it certainly is um, one of those, um, you know, indicators that people look towards. It's one of those that sometimes perception can be reality. Absolutely. I mean, when I tell people, my, my data scientist, Nick, he happens to be fantastic as a data scientist and an engineer, um, and, 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 excuse me, he happens to be fantastic as a data scientist and just as a human being, he's an amazing person, but uh, you know, people don't care about him as much as they care that he used to work at Apple and that's what sells people. That's what people get excited about. Well, I think that leads us into the next point that I do want to get into, which is experience. So we kind of talked about investment size. I know there's maybe no perfect number, but it seems like you went about 30 to 40% more than you initially thought you might need. So that's kind of one thing. Let's talk about some of that experience factor you're talking about. Well, one, fundraising is really hard. Um, anyone that says that fundraising is easy is lying. Uh, you got to have a lot of different conversations, especially if you want to be raising the right money from the right people. Um, all cash is not equal. Uh, you really want to try to you really want to try to find the right um, investors that share in your vision and you want to celebrate with them when things are going great. And you also, when you fall on to tough times that you guys are going to stay aligned and, you know, be able to have those tough conversations, um, when they do come up. So you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you meet the right folks, um, that you really want to, uh, that you really want to partner with and ultimately that are going to share in your vision. So you got to have thick skin. You're going to get a lot of no's uh, before you get a yes. And then when you do get the yes, you want to be very careful that you're not just taking, you know, the yes, you're not just adding that investor to your cap table because you really need the money and you think you just need to move. Um, It's important to stay honest and true to the kind of company that you want to build and make sure you're adding the right people. So just prepare to have thick skin. That's the best advice that I can give. Let's talk about designing your pitch. You could go into a lot of different explanations and examples. I just want one. Give us one thing that we should and can be thinking about when we're designing our pitch. I think it goes back to also me being a father-son team too. It's about telling a story. And you know, our story as a family 
really came together around having leaks in homes and and what we suffered through and why this is an important issue for us, why we have a unique perspective and having the vision for where this is going. I think one of the things that people really miss as a CEO of a company is that you're the chief storyteller. So you got to get really good at telling your story and why is this going to be you? Because I think a lot of people watch Shark Tank. They know that the sharks are going to ask them, like, <laughs> what's stopping Bosch or Google or Amazon from or squashing you know, you. <laughs> General Electric or whoever it is? Like, what's going to stop them from just getting into this business and squashing you? And ultimately, you know, the answer is it's about you and it's about the team and it's about, you know, why you're going to be, you know, uh, the frugal enough and passionate enough and efficient enough with the capital you have and go and and go get that land grab in in a way that another company is not going to be able to do. Again, investors are investing in you more than they're investing in anything else. So being able to tell that story and being able to explain why you're the one that's going to that's going to take this huge opportunity and go get that market share. Fire Nation, you've heard land grab a few times. You have to have that first mover's advantage is critical. And once you have it, you can't let it go. And you got it, Gabriel. And you've you've run with it. You're currently running with it. Um, as you said, you're a little nasally because you're traveling around. You got, you know, twin 18-month-old. You're married. I mean, you just have a lot of stuff going on right now. So let's kind of talk post-fundraise because you've raised the money. You're paying yourself a salary, albeit a non-glorious one, but you are, you know, getting revenue from, you know, this overall venture capital injection. What happens post-fundraise that we really need to know about? Well, I think one, keeping uh, keeping contact with your investors is really important. Like I send out a quarterly update to my investors. If your investors are coming and asking you for information, that's probably not a good sign. Mm-hmm. So it's it's better to keep them in the loop. But two, you need to immediately be thinking about when your next fundraise is. I know this is a terrible thing and no one wants to think about it because fundraising is so uh, hard. It's kind of like when a politician gets elected and they're thinking about the next election. I hate that. Yeah, yeah, but it's true. You know, one of my advisors <laughs> said this to me and I hated, I hated hearing it. It was like one of the most painful pieces of advice that I ever got. But there is an element of truth to this is that when you're in the startup business and you're venture backed, like your goal as a company is to reach the next milestone so you can raise more money. And, you know, it's it, there there really is some truth to that where, you know, where when you raise money, you've now, you, you know, you've put together a budget on what you're going to do over the next 12, 18, 24 months, how long you've, you know, budgeted for. But however long that budget is for and what you've sold your initial investors on. You need to hit those milestones. And if you don't, then you may not have yourself in the right position where you can raise money again. And guess what? 100% of the reason why startups fail is because they run out of money. It's not because people just, you know, give up on it. It's because, you know, they were not able to, you know, to keep the lights on a lot of times. So um, one of the things you have to be thinking about is what are the things that are going to get you you know, to the next level where you can continue because now you're dependent on that capital and you have, you know, venture capitalists who want to see, you know, five X, but 10X, 100X returns on their money. So (laughs) what are the things that you're going to be able to sell that next group of investors Mm. that, you know, you're going to, you're going to see viral growth in this uh, product. And so 
it's tough to think about. It's a tough pill to swallow, but it is part of the reality of the situation. Fire Nation, that's what we're doing. We're dropping truth bombs here. You know, we're giving you the good, we're giving you the bad, we're giving you the ugly, we're giving you the reality of what this is. So Gabriel, we dropped a ton of value bombs on Fire Nation today, and I don't want to go back over each and every single point. So just kind of maybe pick one thing that you want to make sure our listeners really get as an overall summation from this audio masterclass and break it down for us. Well, I just think, you know, if you're deciding that you want to start a business as a family, um, you need to have a real heart to heart about the kind of company that you want to grow. How do you envision things going? And sometimes venture capital is the right decision. Sometimes it's not. If you know that there's that land grab opportunity that you that you really need to get, you know, get out and get it, um, you know, go get as much market share as you can. Um, Sometimes venture capital is going to be the right answer. It was the right answer for us. Again, there are pros and cons of raising venture capital, but I think some of the pros are it's going to keep you really disciplined as a company to be thinking about the things that are actually going to make a difference in reaching that next milestone and ultimately growing the pie. Um, so there's going to be you know, plenty of meat on the bone for you know, all involved. And, um, and I think it's going to help you attract talent. And ultimately, like I was saying before, in some ways, it's a more conservative way to grow your business because, you know, the pie, your slice of the pie may not be as big when you go partner with venture capital. Uh, but now you got a whole group of very talented, um, uh, uh, very passionate and very hungry people that are now on your side that can help you open doors, help grow the right team. So ultimately, it'll give you a better chance of reaching success without having to dig so much into your own pocket. Well, Gabriel, here I live in Puerto Rico. You know, every year we go through a couple months where we're just terrified about the next hurricane coming in. And obviously our worst fears were realized last year when Hurricane Maria ripped through and did a lot of damage to the house. And I can tell you, water damage was by far the number one piece of damage that we had on this entire island. People are still suffering from it because what happens with water damage? Then there's mold and this happens and you know, water always finds a way through. So this is something that I can tell you that my entire island of Puerto Rico deals with on a consistent basis. You know, at the very least we have a massive rainy season and you know, things are happening, et cetera, et cetera. So I personally know that this is going to fill a massive void for a lot of people around the world because of all the things you talked about at the beginning about how this is just such a more common uh, thing that that damages houses than fire and theft. You know, five times of those combined is, is crazy numbers. So maybe in this kind of final little summation part here, share with us a little bit more about Flow Technologies and how, if we're interested in learning more about this company, we can. Thank you, John. Just one thing I want to correct uh, your listeners on. Um, I'm sorry if I misstated this earlier, but it's actually twice as likely as fire and theft combined. It's five times more likely than fire or theft. Okay, so, got it. Um, so, so twice as likely as those combined. So we'll just cool. have the record straight sure. on that. Um, and just one more thing to set the record straight on as well, because I know you started talking a lot about weather-related water damage. So flow technologies can't prevent, you know, a hurricane coming and hitting the island. What? And, you it know, can't be like, yo, not this way, Maria. No, <laughs> but what we, yeah, exactly. But what we, what we can help prevent is if there's any kind of a rupture to that main water supply line, um, if there's any vulnerabilities in it as a result of high pressure, freezing temperatures, um, or just you know, things on the pipe start to get corroded and eventually they burst. 
those are the kind of leaks that we find very early on. Those are the kind of uh, water damage claims that we help avoid. So if you're interested in learning more about flow technologies, visit meetflow.com. That's M-E-E-T-F-L-O.com. There you'll have a whole host of information about what makes flow technologies uh, the best water monitoring and control technology uh, on the market. And also check with your local water utility and check with your homeowner's insurance company because you may be entitled to rebates and insurance discounts Ooh. off of your homeowner's insurance premium for having a flow device. Um, you can get up to 10% from your homeowner's insurance company depending on what carrier you have and what state you live in. So, uh, but check with your carrier. There are some homes like my brother-in-law got $500 back his first year wow. for having a flow device. So it's wow. pretty awesome. Well, I can tell you growing up in New England, I mean, we had burst pipes all the time in the, those winters, you know, being down here in Puerto Rico with things like the hurricane and, and just the salt water that gets poured into your house from things like that, the corrosion of pipes. I mean, that's the things that's happening all the time as well. So just a lot of opportunities here to look into. So one more time, Gabriel, what was that URL? It's meetflow.com. So M-E-E-T-F-L-O.com. Fire Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You've been hanging out with GH and JLD today. So keep up the heat and head over to eofire.com. Type Gabriel on the search bar and the show notes page for this entire episode will pop up with links to everything that we've been talking about today. We're talking timestamps. We're talking the best show notes in the biz. Gabriel, thank you for sharing your truth, your experience, your knowledge with Fire Nation today for that, brother. We salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you, John. Had a great time. Hey, Fire Nation. Hope you enjoyed our chat with Gabriel today. And if you're ready to rock your podcast, share your voice, your message, your mission with the world, well, I got a completely free training for you that's dope. It's called freepodcastcourse.com. I know I made the URL really difficult and really confusing. Freepodcastcourse.com. Fire Nation. I'll see you there. Wish you could shine a spotlight on your top candidates when you post a job? Great news. ZipRecruiter will do just that. ZipRecruiter identifies the right people and actively invites them to apply to your job. Then, as applications come in, they analyze each one and spotlight the top candidates to save you time and make sure you never miss a great match. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash fire. ZipRecruiter. Once again, the smartest way to hire.